Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, what's going on, Church by the Glades? Hey, for those that do not know, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at CBG, and happy Thanksgiving weekend. Give yourself a round of applause. You made it to church today. So glad you're here. Um, I hope you had an incredible week of relaxation, eating good food, and spending time with those you enjoy spending the holidays with. But if you're anything like me, Thanksgiving is kind of just a means to an end. Uh, Thanksgiving is kind of just a stop sign along the road, if you will, that leads us to our true destination. You know what I'm talking about. It's Christmas time, baby. Oh, yeah, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And, and maybe you're thinking, oh, gosh, he's one of those, isn't he? You bet your bottom dollar I am. I am indeed one of those people. And if you've got a problem with that, you can no longer refer to me as Pastor Nick. That's Saint Nick to you. It's a Santa Claus joke. Um... <laughs> no, seriously though, like my wife and I, we've had our Christmas lights and our Christmas tree up since the first week of November. So we truly love Christmas in the Ferrer household, but I, I, I'm not going to bore you with a Christmas sermon today, because uh, the last few weeks here at Church by the Glades, we've been parked on this theme that we've titled, A Seat at the Table. And in our time in Scripture today, I'd love to, to study a Scripture where we see this family invite Jesus into their home and invite Jesus to their table. If you're taking notes today, I want you to jot down the title of my sermon. The title of my sermon is this, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd love you to turn to Luke chapter 10. That's where we'll be in in the Bible today. Luke chapter 10, either on your phones or if you have a physical Bible, that's great. If not, no worries. We're going to have the scripture up on the screen. Luke chapter 10, let's start in verse number 38. Here's what it says. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, Jesus came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. It's this Very fascinating passage, and maybe you're questioning, why is this peculiar passage in the Bible? Uh, It's basically, like, super normal. Like, it's literally a dinner party where two sisters start to argue with one another because one of them was working their tail off and the other was being lazy. It sounds like last Thursday to me. Like, can we be this honest? Like, it, it feels so lame. Like... It almost feels like it's filler story in the Bible. So why is it in there? Well, what I've noticed is that life is much more about how you manage the everyday moments than it is how you manage the extravagant moments. Our lives are not made up of the magnificent, but of mostly the mundane. 
So if the scripture only contained miracle stories, if it only contained stories about how Jesus fed 5,000 or how Jesus healed broken people or, or how Jesus, I don't know, uh, resurrected people, then one might begin to think that, that the, the scripture has no personal relevance. But the inclusion of this text reminds me that the everyday moments matter just as much as the extravagant moments. The magnificent and the mundane, they are both fundamental in our life, but only one is much more frequent. So managing the mundane is an art that must be mastered. And, And it's in this very ordinary passage in the Bible that most theologians believe that Jesus is trying to teach us the difference between work and worship. It almost seems to feel like there's a very clear contrast between what the older sister Martha is doing and what the younger sister Mary is doing. Martha, she was preparing her home and preparing this meal for Jesus and his time with them. And Mary was doing nothing but sitting at the Lord's feet and worshiping him. And, and as you recall, Martha, she gets really frustrated about this because no one was helping her with the work. So she brought her frustrations to Jesus, which, by the way, is always a brilliant idea. Bring your frustrations to Jesus. Bring your complaints to Jesus. Bring your burdens to Jesus. But please know, Jesus might not always answer the way you'd like him to. Because he, he responds to Martha in such a way that Martha probably wasn't expecting. He, he rebukes Martha and then commends Mary for sitting and being with him. It it seems to be this contrast between the work of Martha and the worship of Mary. And and if you look at the text, I believe the the, the text gives us uh, an insight as to why Jesus corrected Martha for doing what she was doing. Let's go back to verse 39. This time I've highlighted a word. I want you to read it with me. Look at what it says. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. All of Martha's preparations for Christ's arrival had completely distracted her from the reason she was preparing to begin with. It's just to be with Jesus. And work becomes problematic when work becomes a distraction. When what you do becomes more important than who you become. When, when your goals become more important than your God, or worse off, when your goals become your God. This, this distraction. It, it, it's almost as if we, we can get so caught up with doing things, even doing things for God, that we neglect the most important thing, which is to just spend time with Him. We, we can get so caught up with do that we lose sight of who? Martha was distracted. And, and I don't typically bust out the original Greek for the, the, the scripture that we study together, but I found this one too fascinating not to share. The original Greek word for this term distracted in, in this Bible, in this text, literally means, translates to strip oneself of. In other words, her distraction was her doing. Does that not speak to where we're at as a society today? 
There are all these different things that are pulling for our attention on a daily basis, whether it be social media or our relationships or the pressures at work or financial strain during the holidays. Maybe for you it's political tension. I don't know what's got your attention divided, but we must never forget that we get to choose what we place our focus on. So if you feel like your mind is cloudy, if your mind is foggy, if you feel like you've become distant from God, then maybe you need to stop blaming the busyness of your schedule and start looking at the things that you have done that have distracted you from the things that really matter. If I can go a step further to say, sometimes we give the enemy far too much credit, way more credit than he deserves. He hasn't pulled you away from God. You've stripped yourself of that. He didn't rob you of your joy. You stripped yourself of that. He, he didn't kill your, your passion. You stripped yourself of that because you are distracted. Now, don't hear me wrong. I believe he wants to do those things. The enemy wants to and will do those things if you allow him to, but why would he feel the need to step in if you're doing his job just fine all on your own? Distraction almost always causes division. Division between us and God. Division between us and our priorities. And in the case of this text, division between Martha and Mary. The division between work and worship. Martha was so distracted by what she was doing that she had caused a clear divide in her home. She came to Jesus frantic because no one was helping her. And she was like, Jesus, I'm working so hard. I'm slaving away trying to make this the best night for you. And all Mary's doing is sitting at your feet and worshiping. How could she leave me to do this by myself? It was this divide between the work of Martha and the worship of Mary. But the more I read this text, the more I don't think this text is trying to cause a divide between work and worship. You see... We must interpret scripture as a whole. And we must allow the entirety of the book to inform us on a specific passage. So when we interpret this text, we must remember that the book of James says that faith without works is dead. We must also remember that the, the book of Colossians says that everything we do, we must do as if we were working unto the Lord, not human masters. Therefore, this would lead me to believe that that that. We're not supposed to draw a contrast between work and worship in this text because it's clear to me that work is necessary in the life of a believer. But maybe this text is trying to draw a correlation between work and worship. You see, I believe the two are inseparable. I believe you cannot have one without the other. It's not work versus worship. It's work and worship. And the book of James and the book of Colossians speak to this, but maybe my favorite scripture on the matter is found in Romans chapter 12, verse number one. Look at how clear this is. Look at how, how clear this text is. Look at what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Look at what it says. This is your true and proper work. Oh, wait, that's not what it says. It says your true and proper worship. Fascinating. What this text is claiming then is what you do has a direct correlation to how you worship. 
It's not just how high you raise your hands during the worship songs. And it's not just how well you respond during the sermon. And please respond well during the sermon. <laughs> but how patient you are with your kids. That's worship. How kind you are to other drivers on the road. That's worship. How you speak to and treat your employees, that's, that's worship. So we, we must allow for, for the entirety of Scripture to interpret this specific passage. And, and when we allow the entirety of Scripture to interpret this specific passage, it leads us to one conclusion. That we are not to forsake the work of Martha to adopt the worship of Mary. Rather, we are to simultaneously work like Martha and worship like Mary. The two are inseparable. Because if you work without worship, that's legalism. But if you worship without work, it's lacking. And maybe the most problematic repercussion of a bad theology of work and worship is that it almost always views life as an obligation. When you work without the proper form of worship attached to it, it almost always views life as an obligation. This is something that literally just happened to me last week. So um, my wife, every single year, loves to, to book a professional holiday photo shoot, and, and this year was no different. And, and every year we have the same conversation. What and where will this photo shoot be? And, and my wife, you need to know this about her, she loves the beach. Ya boy, not so much. So we did what most adults would do, and we came to a compromise, and we did a beach photo shoot. <laughs> Husbands, you get it. Um, now listen, my wife is beautiful. My kids are adorable. The, the, the scenery is magnificent. I really have a wonderful family. Don't hear me wrong, but don't forget, I don't like the beach, okay? So I was frustrated that, that all of this was happening at the beach. And, 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 and hear this, like I don't like the beach for specific reasons. I don't like the sand, and I really don't like wet sand, okay? And, and of course it rained that day, so the sand was wet. And, and I remember one time during the photo shoot, literally just this past week, my wife was literally like frolicking through the waves, just splashing water everywhere, getting everything all wet, and I looked disgusted. I was so annoyed. <laughs> I felt like the Grinch. I was so annoyed that I had to be at this photo shoot on the beach. Even my son was having the best time because he thought the crashing of the waves was hysterical and, and he, he loved spending time with us at the beach, but I was just annoyed and frustrated that I had to be at this photo shoot on the beach. And of course, this caused a monumental argument uh, between me and my wife and she was upset with me because she, she was so annoyed that I was visibly and verbally frustrated that I, I had to be at this photo shoot. And, and my response was, well, I did it, didn't I? The pictures came out great. What's, what's the big deal? Everything's fine. No one got hurt. The pictures are beautiful. What is the problem? And I almost felt like in that moment God had given me the most clear gut punch I'd ever received in my life because all I could keep hearing in my head was, yeah, you did it, but you were miserable the whole time. I thought this family was a blessing to you. So why are you not enjoying them? You see, to, to me, this photo shoot was an obligation. I had to be at this photo shoot. I had to take these pictures. My attitude was all wrong. And the wrong attitude will always make a burden out of a blessing. 
And if we're not careful, if we view work without the proper worship attached to it, the same can happen in our life. The spirit of obligation can take over. We can start to say things like, I have to do this. But a proper understanding of how work and worship are necessary partners doesn't view life's responsibilities as obligations, but it views life's responsibilities as opportunities. Hear me when I say this, church. You don't have to you get to. You don't have to go to work. You get to go to work. You don't have to come to church. You get to come to church. You don't have to go to your kids' games. You get to go to your kids' games. And you don't have to do a family photo shoot. You get to do a family photo shoot. That's a good place to say amen. This erroneous separation of work and, work and worship is toxic because it will transform what you once felt like was an opportunity into an apparent obligation. Maybe that's why your joy is gone. Maybe that's why your contentment is gone. Maybe that's why your demeanor has changed because what you once gave thanks for as an opportunity has now just become another obligation on your calendar. But, you know, we've already established that it is far inferior to Christmas but Thanksgiving serves a phenomenal purpose. It serves its purpose to remind us that having a seat at the table is a blessing because not everyone gets one. So we must daily remind ourselves to shift our attitude because we don't have to be at the table. We get to be at the table. And if you look back at the text, maybe, maybe Jesus didn't rebuke Martha's action. Maybe it wasn't her action he was rebuking. Maybe it was Martha's attitude that Jesus was rebuking. Because remember, she was working really hard to, to get prepared for Jesus, but then she got frustrated and started sassing Jesus because what she thought was the right thing to do was not being prioritized by her sister or even by Jesus himself. So what if what if Jesus rebukes Martha and not Mary, not because Martha was doing and Mary was sitting, what if it's because Martha was doing what she wanted and Mary was doing what Jesus wanted? What if this isn't an issue of significance between work and worship after all? What if it's an issue of priorities? Let's go back to the text one more time. I want you to, I want you to see what this says. Look at verse number 40. 41, I'm sorry. Look at what it says. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better. Good reading. Better. Mary has chosen what is better. Did you notice that Jesus did not say Mary has chosen what is right and Martha what is wrong? No, he said Mary has chosen what is better. This leads me to believe that both the things they were doing were good things, but only one was better. This is why we must be able to develop the ability to discern the difference between the good things in our life and the God things in our life, or you might miss out on the things that God has prepared for you. Your daughter's travel soccer, that's a good thing, but does it come at the expense of raising her in the house of God? Martha had prioritized what she could do for Jesus. 
But Mary had prioritized spending time with Jesus. It was the priorities that were the difference. And maybe then this means that Jesus wasn't trying to get Martha to stop working at all. Maybe he was just trying to simply get her to start prioritizing the right things. And, and no doubt, this, this probably shocked Martha. She probably wasn't expecting this answer from, from Jesus. She was probably expecting Jesus to align with her priorities. She was probably expecting Jesus to get onto Mary and, and, and get onto her about how she wasn't helping her sister with any of the work. And, and I realized we do this all the time. We ask God to sign off on our plans and ask God to sign off on our priorities and and then we get frustrated with God when things don't go our way. But have you ever stopped to consider maybe God doesn't want to do things your way? God has an amazing plan for your life. And God's priorities are greater than your priorities. So what happens is when we, when we prioritize things that are out of alignment with God's priorities, we can start to feel the effects of this in our daily lives. You can start to grow bitter and discontent with where you're at. And you can start to, to feel anxious and, and like you, you've been defeated because you're working your absolute hardest to do the things that you think are right, but nothing seems to be working for you. Nothing seems to be going your way. And if you're not careful, you can start to blame these outcomes on God because that's exactly what Martha did. Look at what she did. Verse 39 again, this time the entirety of verse 40. Look at what it says. Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Martha assumed that Jesus' silence on the subject must have meant that he did not care about what she was doing. And I wonder... I wonder if you've done the same thing. Your plan for your relationships hasn't been going your way, so you're questioning if God cares about you. Your plan for your finances hasn't been going your way, and now you're questioning if God cares about you. The things that you've been prioritizing in your life, they've not been working out the way you'd hoped they would, and now you're questioning if God cares about you. Well, if I could answer that question for you this morning... Of course, of course God cares about you. Of course he cares about what you're going through. But sometimes God will allow you to do your own thing and fail just to show you that he's had a better plan for your life all along. It all stems from an alignment of our priorities. Martha, she had prioritized what she could do for Jesus and was getting frustrated when no one was helping her, so she started to brand that as Jesus did not care about her, but it turns out that Jesus did care about her. It just wasn't his priority. You see, Martha's anxiety was an issue of an alignment. She was not aligned with the priorities of Jesus. So what I'm trying to say today is priorities that are left unchecked will almost always lead to anger or anxiety that is unwarranted. So my question for you this morning is this. Do your priorities align with those of Jesus? Maybe you're wondering, Nick, what, what is 
Jesus' priorities. I don't even know what they are, so how can I know if they align? Well, they're found in this book. They're all here. Everything Jesus prioritizes is in this book. But how could you ever expect to know the will of God if you don't know the word of God? How could you ever expect to know the priorities of God if you've never read a page? You've got to spend time in this word. You've got to spend time in prayer. And you've got to spend time in church on a weekly basis because time with Jesus is essential to aligning our priorities with the priorities of God. It's essential. So if your response to this would be, well, Nick, I'm too busy to do that. I wish I could be here more often. I wish I could spend even five minutes in in the Word. I wish I could spend some time in prayer, but I'm just too busy. Well, if your answer is I'm too busy, I'm sorry to tell you you're simply just too busy. You have to make time for the things that really matter. So if you're anxious about where your life is at right now, and that has led to frustration with God, maybe it's time to pause and take an inventory of your priorities, because my best guess is they probably don't align with God's. I don't want you to hear me wrong today. I'm not standing up here trying to say that you shouldn't have a vision for your life. I'm not standing up here saying that you, you shouldn't prioritize the, 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 the future. or, or I'm, not, I'm not trying to say any of that. I'm not trying to say you shouldn't have a vision. We should all have a vision for our life. We should all know the direction we want to go in. Simply, what I'm saying is that oftentimes, as a matter of fact, all of the times, our vision for ourselves is just way too small. But God, on the other hand, has a perfect vision for your life. So what I am suggesting is that we must submit our vision to the vision of God. And if you look at the text, even Martha had a vision for how she thought the night should go. She had this expectation for how this visit with Jesus was to be. But the problem was that her expectation of how the night was supposed to flow did not match what actually happened. And It's because of that right there that she got anxious and and angry. She got frustrated, and she started to, to question if Jesus cared about her. So what if, what if this, this peculiar passage isn't about work or worship at all? What if it's not even about priorities? What if this passage is about expectations? Look at verse 40. I've highlighted one word. I want you to see what this says. Look at what it says here. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had, that had to be made. Martha had this expectation of how the dinner party was supposed to go. And for that reason, all these preparations had to be made. But did they? If you recall, one verse later, Jesus is like, Martha... You're anxious and worried about many things, but none of these things matter. As a matter of fact, only one thing is necessary, and it's not what you're doing. It's what Mary was doing. So where did Martha get this idea that all of these things had to be done? I don't know about you, but man, I, I can identify with Martha sometimes. So I, I, I've got a vision for my life, and I've got a, a plan for how things should go, and I don't know if you're the same way, but... My best guess as to why Martha had this expectation and why she had to do all these things is because she probably viewed herself as a director. She had this vision for how her life 
should go. She had this, this expectation for how the dinner party was supposed to be. She, she had perfectly scripted it out before Jesus got there. All the plates, they've got to go right there. And, 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 and oh, we've got to get the turkey in the oven soon because we don't want to miss Jesus. We want to feed him before, we, before he goes. And, and, and oh my gosh, I forgot. We've got, we got to iron all the tablecloths. They're wrinkly right now. Where is Mary? What is she doing right now? I need Mary's help. There's, there's so much that still needs to be done. We've got to polish the glassware. We've got to shine the silverware because we can only present the best for Jesus. Where is Mary? Martha had this expectation for how the the dinner party was to go, this vision for how the night should flow, and none of it went according to plan. And because of that, she grew anxious and angry and started to believe that God did not care about her. This is something I like to call the expectation gap. Uh, On one side of the continuum, you have your expectation what you expect to happen in your life, what you expect to go through, how you expect God to show up for you, and honestly, when you expect all these things to happen. But on the other side of this expectation gap is our experience, what we actually go through, what we actually see come to fruition in our life. And for example, uh, this past January, my wife and I, we celebrated five years of marriage. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. It's not been perfect, but she's the most amazing woman I've ever met, and and I I couldn't imagine doing life without her. She's literally my better half. So because it was a a big, you know, milestone anniversary for us, the first one we've had, it's five years, so we decided something special. We decided to take a trip to San Diego, just the two of us. And if you've ever been there, you know the weather is amazing. Uh, uh, And we personally love the juxtaposition of the ocean and the mountains. Because remember, your boy's not an ocean guy, but I do like the views. So it's kind of best of both worlds for us. So we decided to go to San Diego, but we didn't go to San Diego for any of these reasons. We actually went strategically at this time of year because this time of year in San Diego is peak whale watching season. And it is my wife's dream to see whales in their natural habitat. So when we got to San Diego, we booked this whale watching tour. And the specific one we booked was uh, on this military grade raft because that would allow us to get as close to the whales as humanly possible without scaring them off like a big yacht or a charter would. So we got all of our gear on, which was way more than I thought it was gonna be. Then we put all of our stuff in the raft and we set sail for sea. And we were on the boat for half a day, not one whale. Not even, not nothing. We didn't see what, not even a tail, nothing. We didn't see anything, but we saw a ton of different creatures. We saw, I'm talking about dozens of species of fish. We saw sea turtles, which just so happened to be my wife's favorite animal. And, and then we saw hundreds upon hundreds of dolphins. Look at this video. This is, this is on the raft while we were there. Look at how many dolphins you see. You just see them in the distance. They're everywhere. Look, right next to us. Those are baby dolphins. Have you ever seen a baby dolphin? They're, it's insane. I almost cried. It is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. I was so happy, but my wife was unenthused. Did you see her face? <laughs> that's, that's the look of an unimpressed woman right there. Because her only expectation was whales. But what she experienced were dolphins. What should have brought her so much joy left her unsatisfied because what she experienced 
did not match what she expected. And most times when what we experience does not match what we expect, we tend to feel disappointment. Now, I don't want you to answer out loud, but I do want you to answer honestly. Do you ever feel like God has disappointed you? You had a vision for your life. You had a, an expectation of how things would go, and honestly, you feel like you scripted it out perfectly. You know, you wanted to, to, to make this much money a year and, and land that job. And, and then, of course, you know, the, the, the spouse that you marry, they have to look like this, and they've got to be like this, and they've got to act like that because then they would counterbalance your personality. You've kind of sculpted the perfect spouse, if you will, and then you got to be married by no later than 30 because you have to have kids by no later than 35. And, and you've got to have a house with this much square footage and, and this much backyard and, and a pool. And oh, don't forget, along the way, you have to travel and see the world because what would life be without these experiences? And maybe you're here today and none of it's happened that way. You're past the age you had hoped to be married by and the job doesn't pay as much as you thought it would and the house isn't as big as you'd hoped. And because your experience did not match your expectation, you're disappointed with God, frustrated, angry, and honestly unhappy that the movie you're starring in did not play out the way you had expected it to. If that's you, can I, can I share something that might change your life? You're sitting in the wrong chair. I know you had an expectation for your life. I know you have a vision for how things should go and I know it hasn't gone the way you'd expected it to and I know that has left you disappointed. But I need you to know that Jesus, he has no intention of meeting your expectations because Jesus' desire is to exceed your expectations. Maybe this text is in the Bible to remind us that Jesus is not obligated to answer to our expectations. This isn't even the first time that Jesus didn't answer to the expectations of Martha. You may have never heard of Martha or Mary, but you've probably heard of their brother, Lazarus. Lazarus is the one that Jesus rose from the grave. And to us, it's this profound miracle, but to Martha and Mary, it was severe negligence. You see, because Martha and Mary, they invited Jesus to come and actually heal their brother while he was still alive. And, and they expected him to do that because the scripture tells us that, 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 that Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. But when Jesus got word that Lazarus was sick, he, he stayed where he was at for two more days before he even started his journey. And, and, and while Jesus was waiting, and while Jesus was journeying to their house, the scripture tells us Lazarus died. So much so that by the time Jesus got there, Lazarus had been in the grave for four days already. And Martha and Mary were so disappointed. They were so disappointed with Jesus because what they experienced did not match what they expected. And they let Jesus know how disappointed they were. They literally said, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you would have been here, God, maybe they wouldn't have left me. If you would have been here, maybe my finances wouldn't be where they're at. If you would have been here, God, maybe they wouldn't have passed away. If you would have been here, God, maybe my marriage would still be working. But if Jesus would have healed Lazarus when Martha and Mary wanted him to, we would never know 
that Jesus doesn't just have the power to heal broken things, but that Jesus has the power to resurrect dead things. Oh, I need you to hear me. I know you had an expectation. I know you had a vision for your life, but Jesus has an even greater vision for your life. So you need to let go of your expectations and simply expect that Jesus still has a plan. And if you do, what once brought you disappointment will now bring you delight because you know that your experience, it's not the end of the story. That Jesus still has a plan. That he's still working behind the scenes. That he's still got something up his sleeve. And that Jesus doesn't want to meet your expectations. He wants to exceed your expectations because he is the God of immeasurably more we could ever ask of, think, or imagine. Is anybody grateful? We serve a God that exceeds our expectations. You don't have to live your life disappointed and overwhelmed and complaining. You could live your life delighted, overjoyed, and content. But here's the catch. You got to get out of this chair. You are not the director of your life. Jesus is the director of your life. The scripture tells us that that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. So we must get out of the chair that rightfully belongs to him. And here it is. And sit at the feet of the director, just like Mary did. This must be our posture. This must be our place in our lives. We must relinquish control to Jesus. Because the truth is, you don't have to be in control of every aspect of your life. You simply have to sit at the feet of the one who is in control. And let Jesus finish the story that he scripted out before you were ever born. Maybe today what you need to do is relinquish control to Jesus. Make him the Lord of your life. And watch how he will exceed your expectations. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that you are the Lord that exceeds our expectations in every way. God, we're disappointed today. We're frustrated today. We're anxious today. So God, meet us where we are at. Meet us in this place and show us that you've still got a plan for us, that you've still got a purpose for us. And God, that you will carry us every step of the way. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ we pray as the church said loudly together. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CBGlades at Pastor D Hughes.